Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome back, everybody. The chair calls the second business meeting of the 66th Missouri Council of the Blind annual convention to order. Our invocation this morning will be given by Treva Patton. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day thy our daily And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory Thank you, Treva. That was very nice. Uh, before we get started with the business at hand, we have a few announcements to make. And I'm going to make one right off the bat to remind you guys that this afternoon we're going to be having elections and you need to have your name tags on because they have dots on them signifying whether you can vote or not. And if you don't have them, you don't vote. So I'm just reminding you of that. Also, yesterday I noticed a lot of cell phones going off, and so if you guys would mute those, that would be great. We'd really appreciate it. Are there any other announcements? 
We have tickets for the BRL um, fundraiser. It's a $100 gift card, a Visa gift card that's being given away. Uh, Janet Bold has the ticket. She's in here and she'll be in the um, room that we have the BRL luncheon at this afternoon. Also, library users has tickets too. Both of those raffles will be later on today, so please come out and support them. Both of them are one ticket for a dollar and six tickets for five. Thank you. This is Wilma Chestnut. Thank everyone that attended the trivia night and the costume event last night. We had a great time. I knew that Jack Link would win the and his group would win the trivia and the other two people that won the contest. We had a great time and thank you guys for coming. Hearing nothing more, I guess. Um, our first item of business is the adoption of and of the updated. Um, why can I never remember this word? Credentials. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is the of the adoption of the uh, updated credentials report? Please welcome Susan Sanderson, chair of the credentials committee. Thank you, Madam President. Enjoy being the credential chairperson again this year. And um, I, I want to thank Wanda Lentz and Brandy Jones for assisting me. And uh, Bob Collier is going to help me count votes and that. And, and a special thank you to uh, Virginia. She has been such a jewel to work with. Madam President, on Saturday, uh, we have had three members register and 19 guests. No, you only had two guests, I guess. But anyway, the totals are 89 registered members that can vote and 19 guests. Hello. I make a motion that this uh, report be adopted. Is there a second? Second. All right. It has been moved and seconded that um, to adopt the credentials report as presented. Is there any discussion? Hearing none. If you are in favor of the credentials report, please signify by saying aye. aye. If you are opposed of the adoption of the credentials report, please say no. The affirmative has it, and the credentials report is adopted. Thank you very much, Susan. Let us now celebrate the lives of the members that we have lost this year. Denny Huff will present in memory.
Gilder was written by Professor James Black when a student of his in his Sunday school class failed to answer the roll call. 14-year-old Bessie had contracted pneumonia and passed away the week before. Even though Bessie couldn't answer the roll call in her Sunday school class, Professor Black knew that someday when the roll was called up yonder, she would be there. We've lost several members this past year. Some were taken away too soon, and others have lived a long and prosperous life. Even though they won't be able to answer the roll call here or in their affiliate meetings, hopefully someday when the roll is called up yonder, they'll be there. Would you please stand as we remember those that have passed on this past year. From the Agape Council of the Blind, Owen Neal. From Blind of Central Missouri, Kenny Carter. From the Joplin Service Club, Matthew Cunningham, Virginia Goheen, and Carol Josherand. From Lake Stockton, Doris Feinhar. Member of Library Users of Missouri, Greg Eicherman. Members at large, Lucretia Upton, Don Wiseman, Rick Belcher, and Gail Wysong. From Northern Lights Council of the Blind, Jackie Harris. From Southeast Missouri Blind Club, Larry Williams and Dale Bishop. From St. Charles County Council of the Blind, Lyle Weidman. From St. Louis County Council of the Blind, Karen Newman. From United Workers for the Blind, Gene Dinwiddie, Michael Hale, Mark Pear, and Sam White. Please keep the family of these that I just named in your prayers. And I do pray that when the roll is called up yonder, you will be there. Thank you for that, Denny. The next business in order is the report from Janelle Edwards, MCB Bylaws and Resolutions Chair. Good morning. I would like to thank the my bylaws committee members who did come to our meeting yesterday. Things have been different this year. And so here is our official explanation. And I, I, I will be back um, this, this afternoon, assuming that a, that a proposed motion is made that I think you will have all received. I'll, I will be back to read a proposed standing rule. But anyway... The bylaws proposal, the one bylaws proposal that was submitted this year was received and distributed on time, but it was learned that it was not distributed in the it was learned that it was not distributed in the format of members choice as required in the bylaws. Madam President, that is my report. The chair rules the bylaws amendment proposed bylaws one cannot be considered due to the fact that it was not properly distributed in the format of the member's choice as request as required excuse me by the bylaws thank you janelle i appreciate the report the chair invites MCB Treasurer Jack Link to give his report. 
Thank you, Madam President. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, short report. The, we budgeted for income, and you know, we never really know for sure because of the uh, volatility of the stock market, but we budgeted for an income of $323,380, and we budgeted for expenses of $572,460, which leaving us a deficit of $249,080. Now, um, I talked to our advisor, Hunter, from Raymond James this week. About, originally talked to him about setting up a, a meeting to discuss the investment policy, but he told me that one of our accounts is not managed by his group. It's managed by another group in Raymond James. And that account had lost 21% over the last year. And the one that they managed has lost 15%. Said it wouldn't cost us anything to switch it over. So we did that. So hopefully the losses, if the market continues to go down, it'll be a little less. If it goes up, it may be a little more. And so I want just want to add to yesterday's discussion, as I have said before, we can have all the money in the world, and I hope we can get some grants written to cover some of our expenses and um, maybe cut down on some of our expenses. Some of, the, some of the budget items, I know we budgeted probably more than will be used, and that will be corrected next year. Um, but if we... You know, if we don't fix the problems that we have in the organization, and they're, you know, we fix everything, but all the money in the world won't do us much good. And, you know, if we get all the money and we don't fix the problems, it'll just be a slower process. If we fix them, we'll be in good shape. If we fix neither, I don't need to tell you the results. And that is my report. Oh, my committee is Deke Edwards, Mark Harris, President Kay, and myself. Okay, thank you for that, Jack. Your report will be filed for audit. We now are going to hear from some of our committees. So if Deborah Witt, Wilma Chestnut House, and Patty Schoenlaw, and April Gray can come up front, that will speed things along, and you'll be up there rather than having to scramble and look for things and so on and so forth. So first report will be the Chronicle editor, Deborah Witt. So I do have figures here, but my Bluetooth is not working. Um, so I will have to put them out in the next Chronicle as to how many we send out and the cost for the Braille and the large print. Um, I would like to ask everyone that reads the Chronicle, let you know that I am looking for stories or ideas that you might have. My information is in the Chronicle. If you want to send me an email um, or even call with your suggestions on what you would like to see in the Chronicle, we've been I've been trying to sort of do a variety of subjects and things of interest, but I would really appreciate some feedback. I have had a few people give me some ideas, so I'm glad that there has been some of that coming in. I appreciate everyone reading the Chronicle, and I just 
been asked to make a quick note, um, which has to do with fundraising, but that's later. But real quick, um, Virginia is still selling 50-50 raffle tickets for the MCB raffle, which will be announced this evening. And so far, we're up to $280. And we are selling pirate booty cards until probably noon. But thank you. All right. Thank you, Deborah. I appreciate that very much. Wilma Chestnut House, will you please report on the membership? Okay. Good morning. Okay. For our membership report, we have 216 members at large, which is an increase of 58 since last year. We have 560 members, which is an increase of 20 since last year. We have 14 regular affiliates and five state affiliates, and we lost one affiliate this year, Queen City Council of the Blind. But you guys keep it up, keep bringing in new members, and we're going to grow. We are still looking for young folks, guys. Okay? Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, Wilma. Very much appreciated. The chair now invites Education and Advocacy Chairman, or should that be Chairperson? I'm not sure, but Patty Shonlaw. If you could tell us about or give us your report, that would be super. It is my distinct pleasure to have served as the Education and Advocacy Committee Chair for this year. When I came into the position, there were some that asked me, what is the purpose of this committee? And how does it serve in meeting the mission of MCB? This question is easily answered by knowing that Education and Advocacy Committee is MCB's vehicle to educate the public in the areas of legislation, education, technology, and transportation to empower people who are visually impaired to live independent and productive lives. Our passion as a committee is to represent all members of the state of Missouri and all people, not only MCB members, but all people who live in the state of Missouri in legislative and political policy endeavors. Each of us in this room are directly affected by what our legislatures Uh, legislators, (laughs) 
I have got such allergies this morning, I can't even hardly hear my own self say anything. So if it comes out a little messy, just say, yeah, she's trying. <laughs> um, that are on, we work with people on the local, state, and federal government levels, as well as business leaders to promote and ensure the rights of the blind community are protected. This year, our committee focused on two bills in trying to get them passed to better serve blind children as well as blind adults. House Bill 2150 which focused on blind children and students getting the appropriate equipment and teaching that would complement their independent educational programs wherever they may attend school. We were fortunate in getting this bill passed through the House and then through the Senate, and on to the governor's desk for his approval. And so now this bill is in effect. House Bill 1564 was the bill that I know many of you were holding your breath and hoping would pass, and that was the bill relieving the requirement of the blind pension all communication, written communication being sent to the home of an applicant or a recipient of the blind pension be delivered in the form of certified mail, which requires your signature to receive the mail. This can be a problem as some clearly can identify, because if you're not home and able to sign for that mail, then you're going to have to go to the post office to pick it up. And if you have a job or many other reasons why, it's just not convenient for that to happen. So the House was very supportive of this. And this bill was passed through the House and then sent to the Senate And the first reading looked good. And then it got a little delayed and a little delayed. And it came time to be put on the docket. And that time was going to be the very last day of the general session before going to summer recess. Well, if you remember that night, the Thursday night before Friday, uh, our Senate had to stay long, long hours to get the state budget passed, which I agree is very, very important. But they were really, really tired, and they decided that it would just be okay to walk away from anything that was on the docket to finish up the business of the general session before recessing for summer. So they would just recess that night 
and not worry anything about all those of us plus others that were really needing their attention, their approval to pass the bills that we were supporting and to send it on to the governor. I know you know what I'm about to say. Since they left, our bill crashed. And it is it died right there. And so we are still in the same position with the blind pension requiring that any written communication sent to your home is done through certified mail. We don't know at this time if this bill will be picked up again, but remember, if so, it starts from scratch. We don't ha have anything uh, built that will follow us through to 2023. So I guess we'll just have to see how it happens. I want to thank uh, my committee and the committee is comprised of a representative from each regular affiliate. I appreciate your support, your um, sending letters, making phone calls, doing the work of the committee, as well as several members of at large helped us. Um, and all of you, I know you have seen my emails on all the lists until you can probably quote them better than I can. But each of you, in your efforts to support us, we really appreciate you. I especially want to thank Chip for his continuous guidance and support of me, because I walked in and really knew little, but was very excited to learn, and Chip gave me the lift that I needed to support our efforts. Uh, that um, concludes my report, but if we have any questions, I certainly would like to address them. Hearing none, thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Patty. Appreciate that in-depth report. Next, April Gray will update us on emergency preparedness. All right. April is not here, so we can just fit her in in a committee report later on this afternoon. All right. Then now to tell us about public relations is Chip Haley. Good morning, everyone. One of the first things that I did, ladies and gentlemen, when I took on the position of public relations is to update the calendar of events on the MCB information line. I hope that you utilize the MCB information line. You get a lot of great information. So uh, I'll have a little bit more to say about that here in just a moment. So we updated the calendar of events on the MCB information line. Then next, I started to reach out to all the regular affiliates, the special interest affiliates, about uh, creating a web page that they could have on the MCB website. Well, I got a lot of different positive results and really appreciated all the affiliates that wanted to have a web page. And uh, so, uh, the, but the issue was we went through a number of different challenges with the website. 
trying to find a webmaster to just all different kind of issues. And it wasn't until just here recently that well, I think we finally got things pretty well organized. So by that time, uh, I hadn't been able to get back with some of the affiliates to create those web pages. Uh, and that, I had actually kind of uh, stopped because we were having the issues with the website. So uh, I thought, well, we need to probably wait until we have everything in order on the website before uh, we do any more uh, creating any more web pages. But I do thank those of you that were really enthusiastic about having a, a web page. Um, and we can still do that. So we'll be reaching out to you and whatever we can do to help you create a web page. It's very, very simple. And then we will get that information up on the website just as soon and quickly as possible. The next thing that we did, we did a couple of different senior health fairs. And I want to thank those uh, that helped uh, assist me in doing that. I know Beverly Cascaden, she was really terrific. She, we had one there in St. Charles that she helped me uh, do. They had a booth there promoting MCB. Also, Wilma Chestnut House had a, um, a run for life. And I want to thank her and her group for uh, sponsoring that and uh, promoting MCB. One of the big events that we always do each year is Power Up. We attended Power Up this year, and I want to thank uh, then uh, President Naomi Sewell, Terry Moses, uh, Madam President Kay Monquist, Terry Nord, and myself. We all got there, and uh, I tell you what, I know that past public relations chairs can agree with this, that's really one of the big highlights as a public relations chair is to go to Power Up and not just to uh, share and promote MCB, but do a lot of networking. So one of the things that I did, ladies and gentlemen, I, I asked Kay as our vice president, we went around to all the different vendors, not just to see their products, but we visited with each and every one of them. We wanted to hear from them. And we talked to them about MCB. We wanted to do some networking together. How can we develop partnerships with some of these vendors and the, the organizations, organizations that they represent? And I tell you, I love doing that kind of thing. So we did that, and I think uh, our Madam President would have to agree how great that kind of networking is. So we moved on from there, and we began to plan... And actually, we began to plan probably in sometime in January, February to uh, do the Missouri State Fair. MCB had never taken such a large undertaking in its history. And I'm just shaking in my boots like, oh my gosh, Chip, what have you went and done? But, ladies and gentlemen, when you've got great people like our Madam President, like Linda Gherkin, like Beverly Cascaden, like Wilma Chestnut House. All these people chipped in, along with their guides and drivers. Uh, Denny, helped, Denny Huff helped as well. Bob Collier helped as well. So we started planning and working together. And, uh, and I tell you what, Linda Gherkin, I, she was just really 
tremendous because she was there. She had attended the Missouri State Fair several different times. So we really looked to her to kind of guide us and help us. And she did an absolutely wonderful job. So, uh, and then uh, she got her affiliate, the Blind of Central Missouri, involved. And what a wonderful group of folks they were. They helped out tremendously. I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that was such a fun, fun time. Again, we didn't get to accomplish everything that we wanted. One of the things that we hoped to accomplish was to create a database, um, you know, so we would pass out the cards and have people that came up to our table, fill out the information on the card, give us their name, telephone number, address, email address, and then we would take those cards back to the MCB office and, and help develop a bigger database. So, unfortunately, we, we didn't quite accomplish that as much as what I would have hoped we would. But still, we were able to get the message and promote MCB. And not just MCB, we helped a lot of different folks. People were coming up to our table asking questions. You know, I got my mama, she's, she's 83 and she's losing her sight. Can you help me? Can you, what, what can we do to help her? So we, we shared with her. We gave resources. We talked about the different kind of things that would help her. And we talked about the different products, different things that might be able to assist them. So we had a lot of different people coming up to our table. We even have people coming up to our table that were not Missouri residents, people out of state. We had one gentleman that came up. He was from New York, and he had a lot of different questions. So, so we did a lot of networking. I think we did a lot of really, really good stuff there at the Missouri State Fair. I know I just had an absolute blast. And I think everybody else that attended also had a great time. One of the things also that I was hoping that we would have been able to do, and unfortunately we weren't. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you realize that this year we were hoping to commemorate the 20th anniversary in July of our MCB office building. Now, I wasn't necessarily just wanting to draw attention to the building in and of itself, but it would have been a way for us to promote MCB. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get that done. But the good news is on September 25th, we had a meet and greet at the MCB office. And I got to give a big shout out to Robert Vaughn and his building committee for helping out to open up the building. I don't know, I don't know how many we had there. I don't know, 30, 40. I don't really remember Robert or Kay may know how many we actually had. What that meet and greet was all about was Van Crow, who you heard from yesterday, Taylor Afori and Sarah Collins, they, they asked me if there was any place in St. Louis where they could hold a meet and greet so that we could have one of the, the country's uh, renowned trainers, John Lee Clark, who, who trains what's called pro-tactile, really fascinating stuff and his other trainers, four other trainers, and they wanted to have kind of a meet and greet. And so we were able to use the MCB office that evening on September 25th, and I think everybody had a great time. I know I certainly did. So again, I want to thank MCB and, and the office staff and Robert and his committee for, for allowing us to do that. Um, 
I want to now go back to the Missouri State Fair. Ladies and gentlemen, what we're going to do, Linda, if you want to come up and bring your wheelbarrow, because you're going to, it, these bags I've got are pretty heavy. What we're going to do, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have a drawing. And Linda's going to draw out two names. I've got two bags, really full bags. And by the way, I want to thank Wilma Chestnut House for also contributing to items to put in these bags. There's just so much in these bags. I tell you, I wish each one of you could feel how heavy they are. But so Linda's going to draw the names. And are you going to have someone read them, Linda? Susan Sanderson. All right. (laughs) Congratulations, Susan. Here's the next name. I got the bag right here. It's pretty heavy. You want me to throw it to you? Susan. Okay. Just a second. Just a second. Just a second. There you go, sweetie. Thank you, Susan. One more time. Let's give Susan a hand. The microphone. Okay. Susan was my right hand man in helping with the Blind Central Missouri, trying to get all of our people scheduled in and out and shift work. And Susan is eyes and she's the driver, and I really appreciate all that she helps me with. Okay. The next name is Cortland Sanders. <laughs> Cortland is not here. This is her little sister, and she's one of our younger 20-ish members who was there and explaining what all blindness has to do. Like Chip said, it was a wonderful undertaking. We had one guy came, and the wife was sighted. She said, I don't know if y'all can help me. My husband just broke his cane. And we said, oh, okay. Got one back here to show. It happened to be one that had been given to me that was way taller than I needed. And we said, will this work? And she said, oh, thank you. Thank you for being here. You just fixed my husband's way of moving around. They were from Nebraska. And he got a white cane from us that I had just had there to show. So, yes, Missouri State Fair was wonderful. And thank you, Chip, and thank you, MCB. If you guys were uh, on the chat list and those of you that were on the president's list and the MCB board list, you know, we, we tried to do our best to keep you updated on the daily goings-on activities that was taking place at the state fair. And uh, I hope you appreciated that because, you know, I'm, uh, this was, yeah, thank you. We, we, were, we were really hoping that uh, we, learned, we learned a lot, the, the kind of things that worked, the kind of things that, well, we need to maybe do something a little different. But thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for supporting um, that, uh, the Missouri State Fair. Thank you. Thank you, Chip, for that. Um, Linda, could you come back up here? No, my eyes just left. Are you afraid? You should be. I should be. <laughs> I, have a, I have a story to tell you guys. I got somebody else. I don't know who I got. I got a guy. Okay. Well, I, I have a story. Do you want to go back to the podium? No. She, she's okay for right, unless she wants to. But okay. So I have a story for you guys. Um, 
what happened was we we were at this at this state fair and we had we stayed at a bed and breakfast really nice place called Happy Acres and we we really we liked the place and my daughter Julie happened to sign up for a a drawing that they were doing not realizing that she would win <laughs> and the 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 I'm going to tell you this Linda what what she won was a one night stay for two people in the King Suite and it gives you all kinds of different uh, privileges. It's just a nice night alone away from everybody. And so she won it and she called them and she said, listen, I live eight hours away. There's no way I'm going to come down and stay for one night and then come back eight hours. So she said, can I transfer this? And they said yes. And she said, mom, I want to give it to, I think her name is Linda. And I thought she did just a great job. And so we at MCB are kind of presenting this for my daughter and for you, Linda, for the job that you did putting all this together so you and your husband can spend the night and just enjoy it. So here, it, it, it's right here, Linda. There you go. Thank you. Yep. Thank you very much. Thank you. I know we're early, but do we know if uh, Amanda Clark is here yet? Got it. Thank you. Okay, do that, and if she's not, then we'll just do a few more committee reports and continue on until she gets here. Do what? Is April Gray here yet? Does anybody know? Okay. So... Of course you would call for door prizes. Um, we, we could do some door prizes un- unless I can call a few people um, for committee reports. Daniel Lagoo, Linda Gherkin again. Who's she? Carrie Smith. Amanda's not here. Okay. And um, Kim Vaughn. If you guys could come up, you can do your committee reports or until Amanda gets here. So if you could come up to the front, like I said, it's on the left-hand side as you're walking to the front. There's a row of chairs right along the wall where you can sit. That way you don't have to scramble to get to the podium. Okay, Daniel, can you give your report on scholarship? I'm already here. I'm already here. Can I do mine real quick? Go ahead, Linda. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Get mine done and over with. No, I'm just teasing. Youth Services happens to be one of the very best programs MCB does. Other than public relations, yeah, Youth Services comes in there right at the top. We help all kinds of people who are not members because they're all under the age of 18. 18 to birth is what I deal with. We buy learning uh, activity kits, resource kits, laptops, therapy seats. We buy anything that a blind child in the state of Missouri that is a educational item needs, up to $250. I have spent $3,215.73. We have helped 17 children which means we have helped parents and teachers with things that are a little more expensive. A lot of our blind children have other siblings, 
and of course all of their things are a little more expensive than the normal child. So we've helped several families. We also helped eight kids go to action camp, activity, uh, all-star camp, and band camp. We sent eight kids at $4,800. My committee is Cindy Smart and Cortland Sanders, and I'm sure I'm one of 30 other committee chairs who says our committee is the best, but yes, Youth Services does help all kinds of children throughout the state of Missouri with the blind problem. And when a teacher or a parent calls and says, oh, thank you, you were an answer. It just is so neat to know that MCB is out there. Yes, being blind is an inconvenience. It is not a handicap. It is an inconvenience, but we can all learn to live with it. We do things differently, but it's fine. And if Daniel is following me, I'm sure part of his people have already seen me, which is how things should work together hand in hand. After they leave me with youth services, they go to Daniel with scholarships, which is college, which is the next step. So as long as we can walk hand in hand together and do from one age to the next age, from preschool to elementary to high school, and then on to Daniel or whoever does scholarship next. That's the way we've got to work together within the state. So thank you for letting me be Chair Kay, and I thoroughly enjoy my committee. And thank you, and give your report next year. Thanks for your report, Linda. Very much appreciated. Um, next, let's learn about the works of the scholarship committee from Daniel Lagoo. On that last report, did Linda say she wants to hold hands? I didn't quite understand that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, my name is Daniel Lagoo, and I'm here to give you guys the scholarship report. Um, I was going to announce our educational couple of the year, but unfortunately, they, they broke up. You know, he taught physics, she taught biology. They just didn't have any chemistry. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, we, anyway, we had a pretty good, good year in, in the scholarship, you know, committee. We, um, we received five applications, and, um, you know, me and my committee reviewed them very carefully, very thoroughly, and we granted five scholarships. So all of the applicants were, in fact, members and, you know, met the requirements, and so then, you know, were granted their, their scholarships. I'd like to send my heartfelt thanks out to... To my committee, both of these ladies were wonderful people to work with. Unfortunately, one of them is not here today, but we wish her a happy re- recovery. And like I said, we really, you know, thought about these 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 things. And this particular person, you know, she some could say she ain't got no worries because she ain't in no hurry at all. But anyway, so I'd like to thank Anna Shell and Marlene Leisurely Pace Limba. <laughs> Leader of what? All right. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate it. 
So the next thing I'm going to cover is uh, Daryl Vickers as a website webmaster. Um, Daryl resigned uh, about a week and a half ago or so, and so at this time he is not going to give the report. I can tell you that our website is in good hands. We we being um, the, the new, of course, I'm sure Raymond will talk about this, but um, the new um, chair of multimedia have got some ideas as to what direction we're going to go with the website. Um, he had asked Virginia to give the w- report, and she really wasn't comfortable with that, and that's fine. So at this point, if you need updating with the website, I think the office can update what you need. And we're kind of in a holding pattern until we get uh, possibly an individual to take this over. And that's a, a forthcoming thing, and of course you will be made aware of it. And so that's about all I can really tell you on the website is it's still there, it's still up, and it's still doing its thing. So that's the main thing right there. Um, Carrie Smith, if you could give your report, that would be much appreciated. And that report is... <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. You tell us about uh, Wolfner Library. That would be good. Hi. Um, I'm going to give my report on Wolfner Advisory Committee. Um, you may already know this, but I'm going to tell you that this year they had two new hires. Um, one is Lisa as advisor uh, services librarian and Kitty as reader advisor Um, and um, Wolfner participated in a number of outreach events this year one is called MOCA which includes the blind of Missouri, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Arkansas. They also did one at Jackson Public Library on the in care of the of the aged. Um, there's also one done on um, minority and aging. Um, also, there was a donation of a second recording studio by. Alpha Point, um, Low Vision Clinic, and also the Friends of Wolfner Library. And that there was a um, commemorative plaque put outside of the recording studio, studio um, in appreciation for this donation. It was in print and braille. Um, and um, there was a volunteer uh, appreciation uh Ceremony given for the volunteers that read for Wolfner Library. Um, there were 24 people honored that read a thousand hours or more. Um, there was one who was a monitor slash reader um, reviewer, Paul Otto, that uh, did 4,802 hours. Um, and one of the other things that I make note of is that. Um, Wilma House's book has been published or has been put through BARD. Um, they did also say in the report that we had is that um, BARD um, 
approved uh, the books from Wolfner. They approved uh, 21 uh, juvenile books, four young adult books, and about 16 adult books um, for this year. And that's all. Yep. All right. Thank you, Carrie. Yeah, Madam President, I have a question for, for Carrie, if I may. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carrie, who is the current chair of Wolfner Advisory Council? The current chair? That is um, Peter also. Okay, thank you. Are there any other questions for Carrie? <coughs> All right. Well, the chair now invites Kim Vaughn to report on the work of the deaf-blind committee. Okay, uh, this is Kim Vaughn, and my committee com- uh, consists of Stephanie Burkhead, Chip Haley, and myself. And we have seven members that we uh, had listening devices that people used, and we are going to work on some other things this next year if Madam President feels that I can still do the job of the deaf-blind uh, task force. I'm sorry, um, the deaf-blind, uh, I'm not even sure what you call it, I'm sorry. But um, if, if Madam President feels that I can still do this job, I will continue to do that, and I will work with my committee, and we will make it bigger and better. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. It'll be really, I, I think the deafblind community is somebody at a community or a group of individuals that really is being forgotten, and it's a pleasure to see something starting up again as far as that is concerned with MCB. So, um, all right. Please welcome Wanda Matlock, Chair of the Member of the Month Committee. First of all, I want to thank uh, our past president, Naomi Sewell, for allowing me to chair this committee. This committee had been dormant for a little over a year, and um, I wanted to bring it back, and so did she. So here I am. (laughs) I also want to thank my two terrific committee members that work with me, Mr. Bob Jaco, and he's, he's here with us, and um, Ms. Nancy Hodson. She's not able to be with us, but um, they have been great this past year working with me. Um, we had a budget this year of $700, and we spent um, $518 and uh, 95 cents and we have left um, we have a balance of $181.05 and what we spent the money on was um, candy gift cards especially that one big one for the member of the year tonight um, and frames for the certificates does anyone have any questions for me? 
No. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Wanda. Appreciate that very much. Does anybody know if April Gray is in the room yet? Hmm. Okay. How and Deborah Witt left left as well. Oh, you're back. Okay. Good. Can you come up and tell us about fundraising? All right. I'm Deborah Witt, and I am chairing the fundraising committee. And I would first like to thank the members of my committee. And we have on my committee Kay Monquest, Madam President, and Carl Chapel and Erica Wolf. And we're always looking for anyone that would like to join and come up with some ideas for fundraising. Exact numbers I will be putting in the Chronicle, but roughly off the top of my head, because my Bluetooth is not working, uh, we earned in fundraising activities last year a total of about 6300 Can we move that? Okay. Okay, $6,300, and we put out an expense right around $1,600. So we did make some money. Um, I'd like to mention a couple of things why I've got everybody as a captive audience. It would, um, we do have the ability for people that do do shopping online um, with Amazon Smile. And if you do do shopping on Amazon and you would like to contribute without giving it much thought, if you shop as much as I do, <laughs> I just saw how much my shopping helped to contribute and I was surprised that I do that much shopping. But um, if you go on your Amazon account and you open up an Amazon Smile, then when you shop, without even thinking about it, Two, three, five cents goes to the MCB, and that really adds up. Last year, just from all those pennies put together, we earned um, over $300. So, and that was just through the Amazon Small Program. So, shop, 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 and Christmas is coming. Um, also, I want to uh, let everyone know. We got a slow start in fundraising this year. I was out sick for almost seven months. So um, we're a little slow this year. We are doing the 50-50, which I think I said earlier, it's up to $280, $85 so far. So the winner would get half of that. And we will be letting the winner know tonight. We also are doing pirate booty again this year. But um, since we were a little booked in October, if you haven't read the announcement, it will be November the 19th. The cards are $10 a piece. Uh, prizes are $250 prizes and then 100 We had a lot of fun last year, and I think we've worked out a few of the issues. Um, so we should even have more fun this year um, in doing this. Um, also upcoming, I just sort of want, the committee is still discussing this and you will be getting more details, but um, we have been given, um, or will be given, 
in the spring uh, four tickets to a Cardinals game, and that will include two free passes for parking um, and all food and drink before and during the game. We are also looking at sweetening the pot, and I'm not going to tell you what. We'll be posting this on the MCB website, and it will be on the listservs once we get the details worked out in the spring. But um, we are wanting to help our affiliates have an opportunity to raise money. So we are going to be in discussion, and if anyone has any suggestions, on when we get this ready to go and we're selling the raffle tickets, which are going to be, Carl, I believe it was 10 apiece or 3 for 20, um, to start off with. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, we're wanting to set up something and maybe let the affiliates sell raffle tickets and get a percentage given back to their club for their hard work in helping to sell these tickets and raise money for the MCB. So um, I appreciate the time to talk and give my report. And if anyone has any ideas for fundraising, um, and we do have a couple other things which will be posted. We're still working out details because we did get a late start this year. But don't forget to buy your pirate booty cards and your 50-50. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Deborah. I understand that April is now in the room, so April, if you could give your report on emergency preparedness, that would be super. Um, I'm April Gray with Emergency Preparedness Chair. And uh, earlier this summer, uh, we put out um, the tornado awareness and what to do in emergency. Um, just last week, uh, we put personal protection, um, what to do in and if you're attacked. I put some links uh, to some um, alerting devices and stunning devices that um, Amazon had. Um, I made sure I checked which ones had the best reviews um, so you could check out some different options um, that you felt comfortable with for personal protection and some great tips on there. Um, coming up in the next couple weeks, we'll be having winter emergencies and what to do um, and how to prepare yourself for that. And I have those out on the chat. And so if anybody has any ideals or anything that wants to email me, um, then they can um, email me and uh, I would be happy to look into anything when it comes to personal protection or um, any of the emergency prote protections that are available out there. Does anybody have any questions? April, this yes. is Wilma Chestnut, and I just would like to say that I really enjoy your uh, articles that you have, well, thank you. and that one about the protection. Yes, I'm so glad to know there's something other than that spray mist, the pepper spray, the one, the pellets that stick to you, you know, yep. so you don't get the blowback. Yes, yep. <laughs> and the shotgun one that was great. Those, <laughs> those yep. are my two favorite ones, and I've even gotten to the point now where I'm fixing up my little. Uh, kid in case something should happen, how you have something packed away, you give great information. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you.
Is that uh, the end of the questions for April? Okay, I'm going to ask again. Does anybody know if Amanda is here yet? Let somebody wait for her on the hall, so she's not here Okay. Well, now, here's my next question for you guys. Would you be interested in doing some of this afternoon's committee reports? I don't know how many people will be in the room, but if we could do that, that might uh, fill some space. I appreciate the fact that April and Deborah were able to give their reports. Um, so, I guess the next question is, how many people are here, if we could have Kim Vaughn, she's going to actually be doing the um, Adaptive Technology Grant for Daryl, uh, June Links, Robert Vaughn, all right, and um, Raymond Bishop, all right. If you guys could come up front, and then we'll call some more people, and we'll just do these committee reports. Um, I do have a question, though. Brandy, do you want to wait to do the door prizes right before lunch, or do you want to do some now? Well, we know what you guys want. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to put you on the spot. Yep. So you guys are coming up for your reports. Um, Kim, are you good with doing the um, adaptive technology grant report? Okay, cool. So we'll have her do that first. And that will give Brandy a little bit of slack time so she can get names and all that fun stuff. Adaptive technology report. First, Daryl wants to thank the Lighthouse for the Blind for their $5,000 donation this year, this past year, to the Adaptive, Te to the Adaptive Technology Program. Daryl also wants to thank the rest of the committee, Kim Vaughn, Belinda Turner, and Nancy Lynn. This year, we began on November 1st, 2021, with a budget of $40,000. Our budget by June 15th, 2022, was, was out of money. We approved, we approved 39 grants. Two were denied because of they were out of the scope of the guidelines, and we had to turn down two eligible at the time because we were out of money. Items we approved included stationary magnif I mean, I'm sorry, video magnifiers, uh, handheld um, magnifiers, laptop computers, OrCam, MyEye, and Iris Vision glasses. We also approved grants for smartphones, 
tablets, uh, OrCam read, and uh, reading. Oh, I'm sorry. That that entails. It's a it's a device um, that helps with uh, text to speech. And then um, there was also a Victor reader that we also approved. Um, and then it's uh, let's see. And then Daryl uh, says this is his last year as the chairman of the Adaptive Technology Grant Committee. Daryl believes in this program, and he wants to know. He wants everyone to know that it was his privilege to act as the chairman of this program. Take care, everyone. Daryl. Uh, the Blind um, Task Force is exactly what it is. It's comprised of educators and administrators, um, DESE employees, superintendents from the School for the Blind, uh, parents of blind students, and students of, of, uh, in high school learning. We meet on a quarterly basis to work to improve the lives of students in Missouri. Um, we, um, I have not had the pleasure of getting to go uh, too much the last year because I had a job in a school where they were very demanding and I didn't, you know, get a chance to go. But I did get the reports. They work on um, tasks like improving report cards for students and um, making accessible to the public these report cards and other um, areas that um, blind students need to improve on. Um, we are very happy to learn and to be a part of the passage, and I know it was read early about the, the Bright Act passed. And again, I just wanted to emphasize the, very, the importance of this now law. Um, members out there, please know that um, if you have um, parents of blind students or students themselves, to know how important this act is, they now have the right. It's, it's now a law that um, certified instructors, not just Ms. Jones who says, I know something about teaching Braille, or Mr. Weeditz, I know something about technology. They must be certified and they must be on these premises at these agencies, at this school site. And if they're not, they're breaking mandate. And you have the right to file um, for appeal. You have a, to write to report this. And we're so happy that this has gone down um, finally. Uh, I also wanted to report a highlight of ETF was on May 7th. Finally, this past year, our Vision Summit um, did take place on the campus of the Missouri School for the Blind. Let me tell you, it was a royal hoot. Everybody had so much fun. We, we had um, representatives from Lighthouse, and MCB, um, RSB, and other vendors there on hand to provide information for the attendees, which included parents, blind students, and other education other educators and administrators who come to learn about um, 
blindness and the resources that are available. Um, the theme of this Vision Summit was Experience Teaches, and they really um, stayed with this theme. They had, um, they had demonstrations in things like Oh, of course, you had your resources and demonstrations of technology. But this year at, on the campus, they had um, demonstrations of goalball, track and field, uh, bike riding, and zip lining. I went nowhere near the zip lining. Um, but the experience part, you not only got a demonstration and were taught the history, you got to get on and actually do it which was phenomenal, um, especially with the greenhouse and things. They told you about it for the blind, but they let you get hands-on experience. And at the, the lunch hour, people at MCB and uh, uh, people from Agape and others were around to ask questions. They had a panel of women and people who talked about their lives, blindness, and how uh, their experiences helped not to have them feel sorry for themselves, but to shape and pattern and build and move on with their lives. Um, it was quite an experience. We hope that we will um, be able to do this again in a couple years. And also, I'm giving a, a special shout out and thank you to the MCB for providing the lunches for all of these attendees who registered. It was such a big help, ladies and gents, and we thank you so much. And in conclusion, I'm going to say um, that these laws, that this Bright Act was passed, if you want to have just a, a really good synopsis of it, I have it for you. Um, you can contact me. And also, there's a letter available if you want to go or, or know of a parent who needs to show it to an administrator or a school there's a letter available for you. This information is also on the website. Again, I thank past President Naomi and current President Kate for allowing me to take the time to do this work. I am a certified vision instructor and enjoy helping to improve the lives um, I have. I need to just know where the formal report needs to be filed. Thank you all very much. Thanks for that, June. I, I actually, I really liked your report today. I, I kind of like your freehanding almost better. Well, I, I don't mean that critically. I, I don't mean that critically. I mean that was a really interesting report. Thank you. Um, <laughs> okay, guys. Here's your choice now. Um, our guest speaker is here, so would you rather hear from Robert Vaughn or your guest speaker? I can pick on him. He's my he's my friend. He'll, I know there'll be payback later, but anyway. <laughs> um, so um, I tell you what, guys, if you're okay with this, I'm going to turn this over to our guest speaker. But if you're all right with that, and we'll just do the committee reports later. So first, I would like to introduce Amanda Clark from St. Louis Tours, and she's going to, we, I've, we've heard some of her tours before, and she just does a phenomenal job, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. So, thank you, Amanda. Hello, everyone. Give me just one moment to get set up, and we'll get started. Here. 
Well, if you'd like to hear another committee report, we could. <laughs> that sounds exciting. Yes. Re- report away. <laughs> we were talking about to try to make this convention exciting for everybody and what to do with it. And um, I was telling Kay, I said, do you remember the gal that, that came to speak to the um, Sassy about, you know, tours that she does? And um, we were trying to think of her name. And then finally Kay, Kay came up with her name. I'm terrible about names. Anybody that knows me knows that I cannot remember a name. I always tell everybody I never forget a face, but, you know. But anyway, so we were talking about that, and I said, we need to get her for the convention. And so I started calling around, and I called the arch. They didn't have a clue who she was. Thanks, thanks. And all of a sudden, I got to thinking about the the, um, history museum, and I thought, I wonder if they would know who she is. So I, because I know they're they're connected with certain things around the you know around the city. So I called the history museum, and they said, "Oh yeah, she works here. Would you like to talk to her?" So I I we talked. We had a wonderful conversation and everything, and she gave us a choice of of tours, and we picked one that she's going to do today, and. I'm going to let her tell you about it, but she also describes uh, once, what is it, once a week on the river tours. Yeah, once a month, yeah. She, on the, on the boat. So, this is Amanda. Again, give her a nice round of applause. She's wonderful. All right, hello, everybody. So... I'm so excited to be here because as he said, you know, you guys, it was so much fun to talk to you guys several years ago. Some of my very favorite talks I've ever given um, to give, and I came several times and each time we talked about something usually pretty macabre or something pretty dark and we definitely did it again today. Um, in the past, we, um, I gave a talk called Disasters and Catastrophes. It was all about, you know, things that have gone terribly wrong in St. Louis history. And, today, and then another time we talked about true crime and today we're going to talk about death. So I actually talk about, 20, about, I talk about 25 different topics that are not these things, but it seems to be my thing with, with uh, this group. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite topics. I'm happy to, to do it. So as you said, I work at the History Museum. I work, um, before that I had a company named Renegade STL, and I do walking tours and bus tours and now riverboat tours of St. Louis, and we do so many different topics, and I have lots of different guides. And uh, so it's you know it's a big it's a big thing in my life is St. Louis history although I'm not from here. The topic that I'm going to give today is called Beyond the Grave. So I'm pretty sure it's a pretty it's a big pivot from your uh, committee meetings that you were just talking about. Um, but it is perfect for October. So it's a talk about not about cemeteries definitely like specifically cemeteries but our relationship to cemeteries and our relationship to death and how that has changed in the last 150, 170 years in St. Louis, right? And, and so while this is some, a topic that could be given in any, any uh, city, St. Louis is our backdrop today. 
And when I'm not doing talks and things, I'm usually somewhere in a cemetery looking at, uh, you know, just walking around and finding people's uh, histories. All right, so we're going to use 1849 as kind of the jump-off point for the topic. Um, in 1849, I don't know if anyone is here that went to my disasters and catastrophes talk a couple of years ago. Does anyone know why 1849 is a terrible year in St. Louis history? The city burns to the ground. So in 1849, city burns to the ground, uh, 23 steamboats all caught fire and burned the city, the historic city down. They had to rebuild. But also that year, we were met with a, hu- with a terrible cholera epidemic. And so while that fire only had three deaths, the cholera epidemic had over 6,000. So you had a city that's growing rapidly and is adjusting to having all these people here, already struggling where to put all the people, and now you have to figure out where to put all the 6,000 dead people, right? And this is something that is a reality of of life at this time. And so this is in 1849. Um, They... You know, the city, we had a city cemetery at that time that was just kind of set aside. Um, otherwise, you would be buried you know, near your church, in your church graveyard. But it's at this time that we get the beginning of a movement called the Rural Cemetery Movement. And that's the idea of putting the dead in cemeteries outside of the city. No longer having them in the city with us. And the thought behind that is that they think that maybe dead bodies are contaminated, right? That it's not healthy to have them nearby. Also, they need the land because the cities are growing and industrializing around the world. There's this thing of, well, we can't have, we can't give big plots of land just to the dead. We need to put, let's put them out in the country. Let's put them away. And so we're going to kind of talk about what is, what happens when you put everybody way out in the county, or, or to us, the county, but way out in the country and away from the urban center. So in the 1800s, the newspaper every day would give a list of all the people that had died and where they were buried. So you wouldn't have obituaries, you would just have a list uh, every single day, um, and it would show what cemetery they were in, and have two columns, how did they die, and did they die of cholera. So it kind of gave you also an idea of where where cholera was hitting different neighborhoods and different areas. In the city of St. Louis, if you're familiar with the city, you know, as it grew, like we started having cemeteries down near where the arch is now, and then they pushed them a little further out, out from the riverfront. They had down near the riverfront, they had old French cemetery, Catholic cemetery, and first Protestant. And then there was a really big cemetery where St. Louis University is now. It was, it was the biggest cemetery in in St. Louis. Was located. Like I said, in the the corner of Grand and Laclede. So right in the center of where the St. Louis University campus is. And it was Wesleyan Cemetery. And it was notable because it didn't, uh, it was one of the only cemeteries that would accept both free and enslaved blacks as well as uh, members of the Chinese community and other communities that weren't normally um, accepted into the city cemetery or um, into the church cemeteries. So as the city grows, they start pushing them further and further out. Wesleyan Cemetery itself had already moved once when it got to to Grand Avenue, and it would move again out to University City. And each time it moves, they had to move all of those bodies. And that was totally normal during this time period for your loved ones to be buried, but not for good. Right? They, they would move, and you would have to go accompany those bodies and, and make sure that you got moved. 
So then you'd have to, you know, reclaim your ancestors, someone you knew that had been moved there. So the, the Wesleyan Cemetery gets moved to University City, and it's there for a long time, and then it gets completely, like, taken down. They just get rid of the whole cemetery once it's in U-City. At that time, people had to claim their ancestors, and members of the Chinese-American community um, at that time used it as an opportunity to send those remains back to China, which was a part of the culture. Um, The hope was to get your body back to China, so they they sent a very large um, shipment, actually, of remains from St. Louis to China at this time in 1952. And then there's City Cemetery. City Cemetery is located in, in, it was located where Benton Park is now in St. Louis City along Jefferson Avenue, south of downtown. It's now a beautiful park with rolling hills and water and a lake in the middle. But this was at one time the city cemetery, meaning for people that didn't have, maybe didn't have a religious affiliation or, you know, you think during this time period, how many people came off of steamboats without any kind of identification, and maybe they got cholera the minute they got here and they died, and no one had any idea who they were. So this is where those bodies would be buried. And so then at some point they decided they wanted to use it as a park instead. So those bodies, those pe- the people that had been interred there, were all moved to a new cemetery in the middle of the Mississippi River. Yeah, and this was at the foot of Arsenal Street. There was a very large island in the middle of the Mississippi, And that's where they moved the thousands of bodies that had been buried there. So that that was a big you know big deal. They moved them to the to the middle of the of the river. Eventually, that island started to wash away a little bit. By that time, it was post Civil War. They had buried a lot of Civil War veterans there, and when the island started to wash away, they moved the bodies again. This time, most of them went to the new Jefferson National Barracks Cemetery. So that's usually a big surprise for anyone that lives in St. Louis now to think that there used to be islands in the middle that people actually used and lived on and uh, had a purpose before before we had the arch and all of that down there. Right? It's hard to imagine that. So even if they were dead, they were still moving. <laughs> so even if they were dead, they were still moving. Thank you, Terry. <laughs> um, and, of course, the movement of bodies was something that, you know, varied along socioeconomic lines. So if you were, if you were poor, you might not have had, and your family didn't have the resources, your body may not have been so likely to have been moved. It may have been left behind. And so all throughout the 19th and early 20th century, and even now, bodies are still found in St. Louis in the former sites of cemeteries. So in 1849, we put everybody out, you know, we start putting people out in the country, and we start pushing death away from us at that time, right? We stop, at that time, we put it out of sight. Whereas with, you know, before that, when a loved one, most likely they would die in the home, and you would have to, you know, the family would have to handle that body and take care of it until it was put in the ground in the church graveyard. But at that time, we, we start to see an industry grow, which is a funeral industry. People that will take care of those bodies for you. They will prepare them for you. Then they'll take them to a location outside of the city. And so we ourselves as a culture start to push death and the realities of it away. And even visiting our loved ones becomes visiting a park and visiting this, a place of nature. So you start to see embalmers, funeral parlors, funeral homes, and big elaborate tombstones for just anybody that could afford one become a thing and become very normal. 
By the early 1900s, there were over 200 undertakers in St. Louis. And I have some really great stuff um, where an under, there was an undertaking convention here in the 1870s, just like what you guys are doing right now. Um, it was all undertakers and coffin makers that came here. So we talked about the movement of bodies and how that has changed. The next thing we're going to talk about is something kind of uncomfortable to listen kind of about, and that's body snatching, right? Something we do not have to worry about. Like, there are a lot of problems that we have in a modern world. This is not one of them. This is not something we have to worry about. So body snatching was something that, you know... 300 years ago might have been a thing if someone were robbing, if you were a rich person and you were buried, maybe there were grave robbers that stole the, the money that you were buried with or the jewels that you were buried with or the treasures. But then in the mid-19th century, you start to have medical colleges and we have a rise in technology and we start to learn about new diseases and how to treat them and how, you know, there's a, I have, um, in doing my research, there was a, um, there was a thing where, uh, doing research, I had an undertaker's journal from the uh, 18th, from the 19th century, and you have all of these people that are, um, they die from reasons like a visit from God. Like that was the original, that was the, the reason given, was a visit from, da- from God. <laughs> Get the room unsettled with that one. But then once those, once those medical colleges really get going, then they stop dying from visits from God and they start dying from things like thrombosis and cancer and things that we can identify. But what do you think is, what makes all that possible to learn all those things? Bodies, right? We have to di- be able to dissect the dead and to see how they died and to look at And that's a very uncomfortable thing. And so those bodies are most likely going to be stolen from the city cemetery. They would be stolen you know, late at night once you had been buried and then, and then taken to the medical college. In St. Louis, we had a very famous medical college. And it was ran by a guy named Joseph McDowell. He opened the first medical college in Missouri. He was really respected, but also very controversial and eccentric. Um, and he's most associated now with, with body snatching and ga- grave robbing in St. Louis. But again, the contributions that are made to science during this is a big deal. And not just to science, but also to art. There's a woman named Harriet Hosmer who comes to St. Louis. She's a very unconventional woman. She comes here in the, 18, in the mid-19th century. And the only reason she comes to St. Louis... Thank you. Um, the reason that she comes to St. Louis is she's an artist, and no other place in the country will let her see an anatomy class. No, no one will let a woman watch a body be dissected. And so she comes to St. Louis because Dr. McDowell, who's pretty eccentric and, and kind of wild in his ideas, he will let her do that. And so she comes to St. Louis, she takes anatomy classes, she graduates, and she goes on to become the first professional female sculptor. And she's world-renowned, and a lot of that is attributed to her getting this training that before that was only given to men. And so it has, body snatching has different implications. It eventually goes away as laws are changed that make it not just illegal, but make it actually legal to donate your body to science, and there's no longer a need to steal bodies. 
And if anyone goes to Lafayette Park in downtown St. Louis, there is a beautiful, there's a big statue in the middle of the park of a man named Thomas Hart Benton. It's a big bronze statue. He was a, a senator, and she did that statue. It was the first public monument in the country. So at the same time that we're, you know, finding new or we're changing our relationship with putting bodies out into the country, we are getting up close and personal with the dead in a different kind of way with this medical college thing and with body snatching. We're also inventing new ways of preserving bodies, and we came up with new ways of destroying them. And there's a body, there, sorry, there's a building in St. Louis known as the Missouri Crematory. It still stands today. It was built in 1888, which was 10 years after the first crematorium was built in Milan. So it's pretty early on in this new technology. Of course, uh, cremation is not a new idea that we invented. Uh, the Romans were actually very into it, um, and it was a very accepted way of, of disposing of a body. So in a, the crematorium, which is in St. Louis still today, his historic it's no longer doing cremations, but you can be interred there. It is, it is a gorgeous Roman-style building. So the talk, you know, we've, so we've kind of talked about some of these different things that have changed. And with cremation, what's interesting is it becomes a political thing. So around the turn of the century, if you are fighting for women's rights to vote, you're probably also fighting for the right for cremation. Like these are political, political things that get tied together. People that are seen as progressive, progressive and modern. And one more, another topic is the, you know, the, the death practices of a post-colonial society, and we generalize a whole lot of stuff, but I want to acknowledge another way that death shows up in the built environment in St. Louis, right? So the built environment means an architecture and landscaping in the ground. And those are the mounds that were left behind by the indigenous uh, groups that were here before us. Most, uh, most importantly, the Miss Mississippian culture, that if you go to Cahokia Mounds over in Illinois, there were mounds all throughout this area as well into the St. Louis area, including Forest Park had a dozen mounds in Forest Park that were taken down for the World's Fair. So it reached all throughout the St. Louis area. And those mounds were used for burial, for ceremonies, different things like that. So that's why, how another way that death shows up in the built environment here. And before I wrap up, I want to highlight just a few other interesting things, that think, other histories that hide in cemeteries and the ways that cemeteries actually show up in unexpected places. Uh, one is there's a, a, on Gravoy Road, there are several cemeteries. And one of them is New St. Marcus Cemetery on Gravoy Avenue. Just up the road from uh, New St. Marcus is Old St. Marcus, which is just a park now with a couple of tombstones. And you would have no idea, there's no sign that tells you that used to be a cemetery. And Old St. Marcus Park, again, just up the road from New St. Marcus, when in the 1970s, they decided to close it as a cemetery, and they only moved the bodies that had a perpetual care agreement. There were over 20,000 people buried there. They only moved 2,000 of them. So now there are yeah, 17 to 18,000 people that are still buried at Old St. Marcus Park. It's just a rolling, grassy, hilly park, and you would have no idea uh, what is under your feet there. Another way that a cemetery shows up, or a way that cemeteries show up in a giant way in St. Louis, in downtown St. Louis, there's a building known as the Civil Courts Building. And the Civil Courts Building is one of the tallest buildings of downtown. It was built in the 1930s. 
And at the top of the, like four or five stories at the top of the building, these massive columns, and sitting on top of the massive columns is a huge pyramid that goes up. And at the very top of the pyramid sits a sphinx. And a sphinx is something that, you know, we see in a lot of Egyptian architecture, which is, you know, like a, a man's a human face with lion paws. And so at the top of these columns, these monumental columns with a pyramid and this lion thing at the top, it's actually, a, the building was modeled after a, an ancient tomb uh, of a king, Masalis. And this was a ruler from the third century, and it was in a place called Halicarnassus, nowhere near here, and another side of the world. And that original tomb was designed by Greek architects. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and it was destroyed by earthquakes in the 12th and 13th centuries. And we have it reproduction of it here in St. Louis on big display and and King Masalis, his tomb was so grand, it's the root of the word mausoleum. So it was a big deal, big place. And we have a reproduction of it in downtown St. Louis. And the sphinx at the top is not a lion uh, it's not just a generic man's face, but it's meant to be the face of St. Louis, the king that we are named, that our city was named after. One last thing is one of my favorites. This is uh, when I was wandering around Bellefontaine Cemetery a couple years ago, um, just looking at tombstones and seeing you know different art styles and things like that. And I saw a very strange looking, uh, same strange strange looking tombstone that looked uh, kind of like a like an ark, uh, a strange like container thing. And I wandered over to it, and on one side it says, "Here lies Joseph White, late delegate, in, late delegate in Congress from Florida." Blah 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 blah. Not interesting. And then I go to the other side, and it says. This monument was removed from the old Presbyterian burial ground on Franklin Avenue and Wash Street, and beneath it are deposited all of the human remains found there in November 1865. Then I did my research. There are 5,000 bodies buried underneath one tombstone in Bellefontaine Cemetery, and you would have no idea at all. 5,000, yeah. All bones. Because <laughs> by that, usually they, you know, people in the um, early 1800s were buried in, in mostly wooden boxes versus metal boxes that we, most people are buried in now. And so those wooden boxes would disintegrate. So when you moved to cemetery, you really were just moving remains by that time. So what's interesting, and I'll end on this, is that when they, uh, when they un, you know, do this, uh, they do the, they look for these bodies and, and they're moving them in the 1860s. They, the men that are doing this work are allowed to keep whatever they find on the bodies. And because most of these people had died of cholera, meaning they were just buried in their clothing because no one wanted to touch them, a lot of them had French coins and gold and money on themselves because there were no banks for them to use. So people are able to uh, keep that money. And this is in the newspaper. It's, cover, it, it's covered in the New York Times. And they even found one woman who was covered in head to toe in gold clothing and very ornate dressing. And they think they found a princess or a queen. And then they do a little research and find out she was an actress that was killed on stage when something fell from above and buried in her stage clothing. So that's actually what they had found. So that's the end of my talk. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions that you have. I know that that whole topic was a big change from what you were talking about before and what you're going to talk about after. Um, Yes, I see a hand in the back. Yes. Um, Can you talk about the 
Is there a question in the back? Anyone? This is Wilma. And you were saying that uh, when you fight for women's rights, women voters' rights, you also fighting for cremation? Well, no, not this. They're not the <laughs> same cause. Okay, I was <laughs> yeah. going to say, how does that go hand in hand? <laughs> no, I, no, to clarify, I just mean that it Please. was. Yeah, it was seen as a very progressive cremation. Was seen as a very progressive cause, just like suffrage was. Oh, yeah. Okay, so. thank you very much. Just and yeah, thank you. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes. Yes. My question is. Um, what started the fire in 1849? Ooh, that's a good question. Does anybody know what started the fire? So I'm giving you a quiz from that time. Not lightning, no. Um, no, that... F- <laughs> yeah. So in 1849, it was uh, there was actually a, a lot of steamboats down at the riverfront that night. It was May of 1849. Um, one of them caught fire and caught all the others on fire. And it just so happened, you know, steamboats steamboats do not just catch fire; they catch fire and they explode. So it caught a pretty big fire. And so we had 23 flaming steamboats. The wind kicks up, pushes that fire into the city, and burns it down. And one of the things that comes from that fire is a building code requiring brick and masonry structures, which was fine because we had a huge deposit of clay here and men that were coming from around the world to work in them. So you see our city gets built out of our beautiful red brick after that fire. That's a great question. Thank you. It's pretty fascinating what you're discussing. I was just something the other day about uh, bodies being stacked and can be removed from cemeteries or whatever within a certain period of time. So my question is, if you have a loved one that's in a cemetery, what's the maximum amount of time or minimum amount of time that basically you have no rights or I don't know if that's the right term for it, but they can move the body or stack other bodies on top of it uh, is there a certain time frame, you know, 50 years, 100 years? I'm just curious about that. That is a wonderful question. And I say it's wonderful because I do not know the answer to it. And those are good questions because that gives me something to go look, go look up. I don't know. I do know it. there have been different circumstances, right, that have necessitated changes in rules. Uh, there was a cemetery out near where the airport is now that, you know, they were burying people up into the 1970s, and then by the 1980s, they were moving them, right? So people did not stay at rest in that cemetery very long. So it just depends on the, the greater needs of society. I have another question. Question. Uh, are you familiar with Catlin? He was a painter that uh, went up the Missouri River in the 1820s and did a lot of painting of the Mandan Indians. I am not. And he was from here in St. Louis, and I heard some of his painting was here in St. Louis in uh, one of the museums somewhere. Yeah. And I've been looking for them for years, and I I can't find where they are. I don't. I'm, I live quite a. I, I live a long ways from here, so I don't, you know, I don't get around to do research in this town very often. Well, I can tell you there is a magic email, and that is uh, for the Missouri History Museum. It's called library at mohistory.org. You just send it that question to that email, and they have like magic elves that work there that will find answer. <laughs> and they just live for those kinds of questions and to hunt that stuff down for you. 
Are there still some that exist? And if not, what happened to all of them? So the ones that existed near downtown St. Louis do not exist anymore. And they were done away with um, right before the Civil War. The the Army Corps of Engineers decided to deepen the channel here at St. Louis so that the uh, steamboats and trap and freight could get through easier. So they dredged the bottom of the river, and that wi- that got rid of most of those islands. But there are islands north and south of St. Louis, um, and the Mississippi River really likes to move around and make new islands and make new things. The water is so low that right now, just south of downtown, there's an island that has been exposed long enough to have uh, it has starting to have plants and brush and things like that on it no trees yet but um, so th- and even Arsenal Island the one that was right downtown was really interesting to research because there were people that lived on it and the island was constantly moving because the channel would kind of shift and like they would start to move and they would just move their houses as the island moved, they would shift their houses over 10 feet, 15 feet. Um, there was another island that's really that was very famous in early St. Louis called Bloody Island. Bloody Island was directly across from where the arch is now, on the Illinois side. And that is where people in early St. Louis did, uh, that's where they fought duels. And that was a very much a part of the culture here. Good question, thank you. Any other questions before we're done? All right, well, thank you all so much for having me here. Hope you enjoyed the random topic. I, I also understand that today is Amanda's birthday, so... said, I had uh, told Terry, or I told everyone, I'm not doing any talks, no tours on my birthday, and then Terry called me, and I was like, absolutely. Yes, I will do that on my birthday. So thank you all for having me here today. All right, so now, thanks a lot, Amanda. We really appreciated you coming in and it, with a nice break and something different to do, so it's really appreciated. Thanks a lot. Um, so I think what we're going to do is dispense with the reports until this afternoon, the rest of those. So you guys are, um, we're going to, if Brandy, I'm sorry, I told you to get the door prize stuff out and then we just completely blew past you and whatever else. But I mean, if you still have names and you want to do door prizes, what we'll do is, um, do some door prizes and then if there's any announcements to be made we'll do those and then we will recess so you got time to go to the marketplace I don't know that the exhibits are open I just looked to see and I don't know that they are which is kind of sad but you've got some free time to go over to the marketplace check it out see what's happening maybe get in on some drawings and things like that so Okay, Brandy, if you want to do some door prizes, that would be great. Thank you. Yeah. Bye, guys. All right. We are going to start off this morning with a $25 Walmart gift card from UWB. 
Cheryl Townsend. All right, next I have got, I'm going to call it a stadium blanket, but it goes into April's emergency preparedness thing, too, because it's a rolled Velcroed throw with a handle. So it would be great to toss in the trunk of the car or in your emergency supply kit. Phil Johnson. I've got a $25 Visa gift card from Delta Area Blind. Danny Lawrence. No, Danny. Susan Gibbs. Why is it so hard to give away money? Marilyn Parker. I got a $25 Target gift card from St. Charles County Council of the Blind for Donna Siren. Oh, you're here. I have got $25 cash from Agape. Debbie Sanders. Is Debbie in the room? No. How about Treva Downing Patton? Treva is not in the room? How about Joe Dobbs? No, Joe. How about Sabrina Fowler? I know she's in here. All the way in the back. All right, we've got $25 from Allied Workers for the Blind, Robert Vaughn. I have got a set of jewelry that's got men's jewelry, I think, in it, and women's jewelry, and I don't know who they're from. Agape. Okay, they're from Agape. And they're really pretty. I've looked at them. There's the Tree of Life and stuff on some of them. Janine Sifford. She said, I'm Tree the Okay, You have to be in the room unless... Bob Selby. No, Bob. 
Janet Bold. I've got a $25 Visa from Delta Area Blind. Cece Henderson. Oh, she's not in the room. Oh. She's not here. I'm in the room. How about Sharon Treffinger? No, Sharon. Carl Chapel. He's right there. I've got another $25 Walmart gift card from UWB for Beverly Cascaden. I've got $20 from Joplin Service Club. Donna Bishop. I've got a $25 Walmart gift card from Springfield Service Club. James Tall. I've got $25 from Blind of Central Missouri. I still have a whole ton of other prizes, too, guys. Tana Loomis. Tana Loomis. She's a first-timer. We'll have more time this afternoon, too, so. How about Jack Link? I've got another $25 Walmart gift card from UWB. Virginia Drapkin. Now I know she's running the table for MCB outside. Oh, she's in the room. I didn't see her sneak back in. $25 cash from St. Louis Northern Light Council. Debbie Head. $25 gift Walmart gift card from UWB. Donna Weedlick. I've got another one of the rolled throws from MCB. It's a rolled throw with a handle and a Velcro. Carolyn Smith. No, Carolyn? Nancy's there? She's working. She's working for MCB, so. We've got $25 Walmart gift card from uh, Springfield Service Club, Carrie Smith. 
All right, and this is the last one I've got up here. It's a $25 Walmart gift card from UWB, Belinda Turner. No, Belinda? Anna Lee Timon. Timon? Nope. How about Anna Shell? All right, I'm done. Nancy from the office. That concludes your door prizes for this morning. But hang around because there'll be more for this afternoon. And also, I have an announcement again that I'm going to remind you guys. Remember to wear your name tags. They have your dots so you can vote. No dot, no vote. (laughs) 